Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends. It's so good to be back with you for a brand new season of Collective Wisdom after the long summer break. It's certainly been a tumultuous few weeks here in the UK with not only a new Prime Minister, but then the sad news of the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, the impact of which has been felt across the nation and reverberated around the world. What's been fascinating for me as a storyteller has been the time to reflect and revisit some of the stories from her 70-year reign and see just how much things have changed since she first came to the throne and just how many people's lives she touched when she met them, including stories from the now infamous queue which formed, where people waited for over 15 hours in some cases to pay their respects. And I think the thing that touched me most was when one of the reporters said it was the hushed silence in that hall where at any one time there were over 200 people and just the resounding sound of silence. It's also been a time to reflect on the legacy that 70 years of dedicated and devoted service to a job leaves behind. As Kirsty Young, reporting for the BBC, said so movingly after the funeral, she made history, she was history, and she will never be forgotten. Which brings me on to today's guest, my lovely friend, the author and now novelist Bernadette Jiwa who is here today to talk to us about her new novel, The Making of Her, which, as you'll hear, is a story that's steeped with her own history and really feels like it comes straight from the heart. Bernadette was kind enough to agree to interview me back in 2020 for episode one, season one of the podcast, and it's almost unthinkable just how much the world has changed since then. It was a real pleasure to catch up with her and to learn more about the new novel, which although the characters are fictitious, is dedicated to the illegitimate children born in Ireland who so often grew up without ever knowing their real family, so that they too are not forgotten. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this conversation just as much as I did, and I promise you the novel does not disappoint. With me today is my friend, the best-selling author and creator of the Story Skills Workshop, Bernadette Jiwa. It's a very fitting way to kick off season eight, as Bernadette kindly offered to interview me on the very first episode of Collective Wisdom back in 2019. Since then, she's been busy writing her first novel, The Making of Her, which was published in this summer to great acclaim. Bernadette has been teaching people, myself included, how to harness the power of their everyday stories for over a decade. And now in her debut novel, she's crafted a story that's infused with the real life stories she heard growing up in a house in Ireland with no books, but a home that was full of stories and storytellers. Set in her native Dublin in 1996, it's the story of Joan, who on the face of it lives an enviable life with her husband Martin and daughter Carmel. But things start to unravel when Joan receives a letter from Emma, the daughter who she and Martin gave up for adoption in England 30 years earlier, when Joan became pregnant before they were married. 
Spanning the 90s and the 60s with Dublin as its backdrop, The Making of Her is the story of Joan grappling with the guilt that's plagued her since she gave up her baby and her journey to find forgiveness and real happiness. It's a novel that doesn't disappoint with characters that are brought to life with so much compassion that you're drawn into their story and can't help but shed a tear along with them. At the heart, it's an exploration of motherhood, marriage and the impact on the lives of women in particular of the lack of reproductive freedom and choice. Coming at a time when Roe versus Wade has just been overturned in the US, it's also a very poignant and perhaps prescient story. Roddy Doyle said of the novel, I didn't want it to end. And I really have to agree with him on that. So Bernadette, welcome back. And thank you so much for being here. I'm just so looking forward to hearing you talk about the novel and how you crafted it. I know this this all started with your your grandmother, Ellen. You wrote an essay alongside the novel that I'd just love to hear you explain a little bit more about Ellen and her story. First, can I say, Kat, thank you for inviting me back. And I cannot believe you've been, this is season eight, I think. You've been, well, I can believe, I can believe you did it. And at the same time, I can't believe that much time has passed since we first got together and had our first conversation. So thank you for inviting me back. Oh, it's a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So, so the novel. So you were saying, you know, the, the, the novel, what fascinated me was the novel was actually really inspired by your own grandmother's story. I mean, it's about how much the, the real life stories are tied up into this novel you've done that so well so I just thought we'd start with with her story with with your grandmother who sadly died in childbirth at a very young age she did and that's a story that's lived with me it's I guess it's been part of my DNA because I've been hearing it since I was very young so my grandmother died in childbirth in Dublin where I was born at the age of 38 giving birth to her 11th child and that's something that I never forgot, that story. The the idea that she didn't have any choice in, she didn't have any reproductive freedom. She had, over the course of 15 years, 11 pregnancies that we know of, possibly more. And I can't imagine what that did to a woman's body and soul. And a very poor woman at that, she didn't have the resources to really feed her family. They they were struggling. They were on on the breadline. So that story has lived with me my entire life. And then alongside that story, there's a story of a friend of mine who is in England, was placed for adoption by Irish parents in the 1960s. And her parents went back to Ireland. They married each other and had more children who do not know she exists. Wow. And I heard that story 25 years ago, and it actually made me quite sad for my own country and my own city, which I love, the the city where I was born. I haven't lived there for 34 years, but it's a place, Dublin is a place that's close to my heart. And it made me sad for the generation, the generations of women who had to make choices they didn't want to make, who were not empowered to live the lives that they wanted to live. Absolutely. And I think that's what you've done so masterfully is you've taken 
the the empathy that you obviously know and understand of your your grandmother's story and so many women like her who were just either pregnant or rearing children or breastfeeding you know there just was no no freedom and and then this very poignant story of the other side of it which is the children who who were often adopted through a sense of shame if they weren't you know if they were born out of outside of marriage and and just the it's it's really that digging into the the impact the real life impact on the individual that i think helps evoke that empathy for when you take it into the bigger picture of what's going on in the world now the real impact of things like roe versus wade being overturned on actual people and their lives and, and not and not just the women um that on on the men too yeah absolutely absolutely i think that's something else that you portray so well is is there's there's that sense of the stress of of just everyday survival when you've got that many children and not enough money to go around and no real sense of control uh, over your own life mm-hmm. and the impact that has which you know the 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 sort of the father figure in the novel just turns to alcohol which is very understandable and i think also something that happens quite a lot in in real life and and how hard it is to to really live your own life to to you know when we think now about how ireland has evolved and changed as as those laws have slowly been undone and that cultural change has shifted how much more free people are to really invest in their children and have quality time with their families mm. one of the reasons i wrote the novel I, I, I what the impetus to actually finally sit down and write it was reading the brilliant sally rooney's novel normal people and thinking about the generation of women who hadn't lived through those times had not got that lived experience where they didn't have access to contraception for one and i thought we're in danger of forgetting these stories if we don't document them and history can repeat itself if we let it so i think we have a duty to tell stories because there are guardrails and our guideposts absolutely absolutely i couldn't agree more and i think that's what you've done so powerfully is and it must have hit you that you know the island that you left behind is very different to the one that Sally Rooney p- portrays but but that maybe we're in danger of going backwards if we don't take stock of just how hard it is when when people aren't free to be themselves live their own lives when there's too much control from the state when you saw the shock cat uh, at the reversal of Roe versus Wade in the United States. I think people honestly didn't believe it was going to happen, that it couldn't happen. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And 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 I think that's why this story and stories like them that really help us go deep, deep, deep into the the implications, the impact. This is not this is not the facts, this is cultural change. And it's it's so damaging. You know, you talk. I think. I think it's emotions like shame and guilt that are built into this novel 
you know, not that it doesn't have a happy ending, not that it doesn't have light and grace about it, but but you really deal with those emotions so, so empathetically. Well, all stories are redemptive stories, aren't they? We're painting a picture of really, really miserable read. At the same time, I wanted to rewrite the narrative and give the women in this story back their power to make their choices. And I guess that's probably my attempt to rewrite my friend's happy ending for her. Yeah. And that's, yeah, you do, you do that so well. And I think it's also an exploration of, of forgiveness. And that is such a, a powerful thing that we often, I don't think many of us get close to understanding the process Mm. Um, behind it it's it's yeah it's a really wonderful that's that's the journey you go through it's it's this getting back to redemption and that that sort of sense of hope and optimism that comes from it thank you (laughs) (laughs) now I know I mean obviously it's it's quite heavy subjects but you tell because you take us into a, a world where we're almost like a fly on the wall with the characters and you're characters are so carefully drawn that it's it's um I, I read one of the the comments on the blurb was it's like being with with some best friends from from the very early chapters how do you set about you know for me it's a, it's the dialogue that brings them to life you you really do get inside the head of how they would speak and their own voices how do you how do you go about that I think it's listening. You know, as a storyteller, you're not just trying to get things down. You're actually observing everything around you. So that's the power of noticing and listening. And I think being surrounded by adults my entire childhood and being the eldest in my family and mm. being a fly on the wall, you know, when grown-ups don't realize you're there, but you're hearing everything and we're a very talkative family. As soon as the, the cup of tea was on the table and the slice of apple tart, the stories just were flowing. Yeah. So I think it's that. I, I'd never written dialogue before I I attempted to write this novel and I didn't know if I could do it. And it was wonderful. It was just such a joy to feel transported back to a time and a place that I love. And if I think if, as a creator and as a writer, if you're having fun with the characters and you're enjoying what you're doing, then the reader, it comes across to the reader. The reader feels it. It's its a heart-to-heart thing. I, I feel like when you're creating, you're pouring your heart into something and the person on the receiving end of that knows. They really feel it. Oh, absolutely. I think that's what it is. And I I wondered if there were lots of scenes that perhaps didn't make it to the final edit where you'd written conversations and just little, because you do exactly what you teach everyone to do in the story skills workshop, which is to zoom into the detail. You know, there'll be an interaction in the kitchen or just a a barbed comment you know the mother-in-law in the in the in the novel is so well portrayed you know she'll just make these acid barbed comments and I had so much fun writing her yeah yeah and you did it so brilliantly I'm thinking oh gosh you know you've really got inside the head of of every different character so so do you do you play around and write scenes that perhaps won't ever make it into the the final novel or did everything have an intention and you knew how you wanted it to move the, the story forward 
No, I am afraid I don't write an outline and I don't have a plot. I start with characters in a scene and place. Right. Place is really important. Uh, so I think I'm afraid. That's my way of doing it. Other people do it in a different way. And so so much gets left on the cutting room floor. And yet it's still a it's still a joy to to know that when you come to the screen or the page that the characters are going to lead you where you need to go. So sometimes you have to take a step back and, and say, Oh, I, yes, they're doing this, but the reader in, in real time in the present day and the reader doesn't understand why they're doing that. So I ended up making it quite complicated for myself because we've got dual timelines. We're in the sixties and the nineties yeah. and we're in three points of view it's it's um yeah for, for it a would have been hard easier to just do one person's point of view and a single timeline but that's the story required something different so you have to honor what the story is asking of you as the creator of it yeah and and you've done that so well because as you say these are quite i mean you're you're going beneath the the surface of the the sort of the process for for how we can tell stories and it is what you do so so well is when when as a reader i'm not questioning whose head i'm inside right now it's just it makes perfect sense and i love the fact that i did have those three different perspectives it's um it's not clunky it doesn't feel like what where are we going now what, what's happening now but you take us and i think it's because you evoke that place so so successfully it's obviously something that's really Dublin is baked into your own DNA that you can shift from the 60s to the 90s and and help us take take us with you if you like it it really is a sort of love story to Dublin itself it, it is and really for my parents too I think it's a love story to my parents I, I call it a mother-daughter love story in fact I think the impetus was another of the reasons I sat down to write it was my dad turned 80 in 2019 and maybe I subconsciously had this fear that this his stories were not going to be told so I think that was something that drove me to actually say I'm going to try I'm going to try I don't know what whether this is going to work out even if it doesn't see the light of day even if it's not publishable I want to have a go yeah, so it's almost like a that resonates so much with me because I think that's this podcast was born out of the similar mm -hmm. thing where we're all locked away and suddenly I think not having access to your own family it, mm. it, it definitely triggered in me. Oh gosh, I've got to try and capture this the essence of things before before you don't have access to you know the the actual stories themselves so did you did you have long chats with your dad while you were writing it how, how did you how did you sort of glean those stories again I actually went back to Dublin for a month and steeped in it this was pre so that would have been October 2019 not knowing what was going to happen obviously that I wouldn't be seeing my parents for quite some time that was my longest trip back to Dublin in, in a long time. And I went without my husband and my kids. And I just spent those that month with my parents, not saying to them, oh, I, I want to mine all your material, but just being with them because yeah. the stories come out naturally. And 
just making sure I had the ear of the place and yeah, just being present there. I, I needed to be there. It's a good I, excuse, isn't it? To, well, I write I a novel makes, to get a long trip back. <laughs> it makes perfect sense because I had a vision of you writing it from Melbourne where, where you are and, and therefore how, how amazing, I guess, you know, it's, it's in your memories, it's where you grew up, but, but it makes perfect sense that you were actually back there. I think that probably just gave you this whole tsunami of, of all those years that maybe you haven't been back there. And that's, that's what you've done so successfully. You've kind of just put that all into the story itself, all those memories, all that sense of place and, and also how, how Ireland as a place has evolved in the time mm -hmm. since you've been away. Yeah. I sat at my parents' kitchen table and very early in the morning, Dublin is not a morning city. It's a it's a it's a nighttime city. So if you get up early in the morning, you're likely to be get get an extreme amounts of quiet. And yeah, peace. which so, is beautiful for a writer. That's just that's yeah. just so. It's it's it's, a, it's an inspirational place to create anything. I think that's why we've got such wonderful writers. Yeah, yeah. So Tradition of writing. We mentioned Roddy Doyle at the beginning of the, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when in the introduction. Who who else? Who else? Sort of are your influences? Who 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 are the Irish writers that you love to read? Well, Roddy Doyle. It it was worth going through the pain of two years of writing a novel just to have Roddy Doyle read it for a start. He's a real hero of mine because he writes about working class Dubliners, which my parents very, I'm from a very working class family. And I, I wrote him a note saying the first time I saw my people on the page was in his books, in, in his work. So I'm a huge fan of his. I'm a huge fan of Claire Keegan, the brilliant uh, novelist and short story writer who's just been shortlisted for the Booker Prize. I couldn't be more thrilled with her beautiful, uh, it's a short novel or novella, Small Things Like These. That's wonderful. Uh, Lucy Caldwell is from Northern Ireland, is an incredible writer. And Enright, so many wonderful yeah. Irish storytellers and beyond. I was telling you, I think, Kat, that for 10 years while I was writing nonfiction, I didn't read any fiction and now it's a big switcheroo it's all uh, it's all fiction and and mostly contemporary women's fiction while yeah. i do my apprenticeship and and learn my craft all over again well this is what's so fascinating what i'm drawn to it's so compelling about your own story that you know you you didn't have a university background you didn't do a creative writing course you literally in your 40s, started writing a blog. And it's from that blog that you've just evolved. And you, you've always held that advice of go read the people who inspire you and then look at the way they write and shape your writing. You know, it'll still be your writing, but, but go to the, the places where, oh, that really, that really lands with me. Look at how they craft their own work and that will be that will be your guide i mean it's just fan fantastic well i think 
what reading other people taught me was about structure more mm. than voice. It was about when you read someone like Malcolm Gladwell or Seth Godin or Brene Brown, you see that you can't mimic them because their their work is infused with their voice and their stories. But you can learn from structure. You can see how they put things together. And for somebody like me, that was important because I don't have uh, an English degree or a creative writing degree or an MFA. I, I, as you said, didn't go to university. And that hasn't stopped me learning. I think it's possible to do apprenticeships in, in other things, not just in trades. Oh, and, absolutely. absolutely. And, and the information's out there for us. How incredible to live in this time when I think about my grandmother and oh, both my grandmothers had, had no opportunities. My, my other grandmother was a maid. My parents were factory workers. Yeah, and I, I think that is, for me, the most important message that you have, which is we all have a voice. We all have that capacity for creativity um, just because circumstances have put you in a position where you're having 11 children and you're, mm -hmm. you're literally having to go to work every hour God sends to, to feed the family doesn't mean you don't have that capacity within you. And what you're helping people understand is how it feels to, to really dig into finding your own voice and and whatever that is, whether you're a singer or a writer or a blogger, you know, it's, it is possible for everyone. It's my belief that everyone's creative. Mm. My parents wouldn't even identify as creative, but they're highly creative yeah. makers. Uh, they make things with their hands. My dad, even though he worked in a factory and he had to leave school at 13, his first job, he was a delivery boy and, and he worked in factories for a good chunk of his life, he taught himself how to play the guitar without being able to read music. Yeah. And he's a wonderful singer and entertainer, and he loves nothing more than to stand on, on a stage. And my mother is a wonderful baker and maker of things. And yet, if you, if you said to them they were creative, they wouldn't even understand yeah. what you were talking about. Yeah. And how did it feel? They must be so proud, especially because the story is so set in, in their world. How did it feel to sort of be able to hand them the story and say, this has been inspired by you and your lives and your your parents' lives? I mean, just just amazing. They're very proud. They're very proud. I, I think my dad's extraordinarily proud to see his mother's name in in print because the book is dedicated to her and in her memory and and my maternal grandmother's memory too um and I think they're they're proud of that they of course they can't stop telling neighbors and friends and anybody who will listen about uh, their daughter is now a novelist not just an author I, I've come up the pecking order it's, it's oh. better to be a novelist apparently oh is so that right been, is that right that's interesting they've been sharing it far and wide they have copies they have lending library happening at their house yeah and and um I'm looking forward because I know at the moment you can't get hold of the audio but um I've heard you talk about the the lady who did the audio has done an amazing job. So at some stage, hopefully it will make it across to 
to the UK. The UK, distribute so. Yeah, because I think this is a book because it's so steeped in dialogue. That's that's going to be where it really. I mean, I I love listening to books as much as I do reading them. Often it's and that's something to mention, Kat. Mm-hmm. You know, as creators, we think we're sort of in a solitary little cave, and yet there are so many people out there who are creators in their own right with their gifts, bringing their gifts to help you to bring your work to the world. I've been so lucky to work with incredible, a a huge team of incredible women, whether that's on the editorial side or the design side. Um, My agent is is an Irish woman who lives in New York. It takes it takes a village and it's important for people to have their creative village around them. Oh, so much so. I mean, you only have to read the acknowledgements page of any book that you've loved. And you always mm-hmm. see there's this great raft of people who were as dedicated to making this the best it could be as the author themselves. And I and think their names don't get on the covers. No, but I, I think it work. must give them a sense of pride, you know, because they become masters of their own craft. That editing process, I can't imagine how you start sort of a giving the feedback without wounding mm. the person who's written it. You know, that that's a craft in itself, knowing knowing what sticks, what what resonates, those little little ideas that, oh, you know, send you off in a tiny different direction. And and then this whole new, maybe even the, the way the story evolved, just those little nudges from editors can, can make a huge difference. And we don't create an isolation. We need feedback from other people, whatever it is we're doing. Absolutely. So, so what's your, I'm fascinated by, artists and their creative process what's your process do you sit down and write every day or when when you do you have sort of do you approach it like a job Monday to Friday how, how does it work for you at the moment I'm approaching it on a Monday to Friday basis because that's what's working for a family um and you it's funny, you, you're always, when you've got a project on the go, you're all, it's always there in the back of your mind. You, it's not, you can't leave it at the desk. So it's bubbling away in the back of your mind and ideas are coming to you. Yeah. That's when you've got a project like a novel that you're working on. And, the, and writing a blog was very good practice for creating rituals and habits. So creative habits are extremely important. Yeah. Most writers have if you if you listen to their stories have habits and rituals that you know, get them into gear like like athletes i guess yeah or creating a certain time of day and as you say you know there's it's yeah. not just the actual sitting with with whether it's longhand or with your laptop often what you've written then you go off and work with your hands and then ah oh, that it's it's always in in sort of simmering away yes I told you I think before we came on that uh, if it's not working if some if I'm stuck I get up and I bake a cake (laughs) and there's a lot of cake cake being baked here right now it was was a coffee cake yesterday and some uh but I think that is how you so whilst your hands are occupied and you're doing something that you obviously enjoy there's a there's a there's an outcome you're bringing joy to other people but your your brain is able to just be 
sort of working away on whatever it is that you've just written down or it is it is a really I think moving from that very cerebral process of writing and then taking yourself into something that you're doing with your hands is probably I, I've heard other authors say they go for a walk and that's when the next idea comes up and that's when ah, oh, that's how I can put this together and it will make more sense. So I'm I'm writing in the morning, and that's if if it doesn't happen generally before one o'clock, that's that's it. It's I'm done by that time. I, I'm not going to get the the best scenes out. Yeah. After one, so. So this idea that you can just the more time you spend on it is is a bit of a fallacy. Sometimes I think it's it's the put your bum on the seat, do something in that in that kind of routine way a little bit every day is going to get you there. One of the best books I've read about writing is Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. Mm. And she talks about the ups and downs of writing. And some days, her advice is some days, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not going to click. Just write 300 words and then walk away and take your index cards with you and go for a walk and observe the world and write things down that come to you you never know what's going to help you but some days it's not going to flow yeah yeah and what's clear is that this is still fun for you um and one of the questions I'm going to be asking people in season eight is what does fun look like for you because I think the world has become quite a heavy place you know post-pandemic mm. and certainly in the UK there's been the cost of living crisis and you yeah. know just helping people re-engage with the little things everyday joys so so what else do you do to have fun I love spending time with my family I've got three adult sons and my favorite thing to do is when they come around to feed them or when they feed me they're, they're all they're all they all like to cook so I'm we're really lucky we've got a very tight knit nuclear family because we didn't have extended family yeah. when our kids were growing up we we were in the uk and my parents were in in ireland so we got a really close family and spending time with them and something happened the other day actually and i, I i'll tell you i had a phone call from my son asking me about ceiling fans he, wa he wanted to buy a ceiling fan for his new place that he's bought and we spent an hour on the phone, you know, um, I was looking at, at the ceiling fans he was looking at, and, and it, it doesn't sound like fun, but I got off that call and thought, your adult son has just called you for advice, and that's fun to me. That feels like a gift. Absolutely. Your adult son wants your advice, and he, he cares about your opinion. So, yeah, and I, that I, feels like fun to me. I'm totally with you. I think as families grow, you know, we, we I've got 22-year-olds and 20-year-olds, and, and as they become more independent, fun is actually when they come back to you and they want to, they, they've mm -hmm. grown up and say, oh, well, you know, can we come for dinner? And coming back to sort of just hang out, that is yeah. fun enough. Absolutely, absolutely. No, and no. the other thing that is fun for me, um, I'd love to arrange, well, I, lo I love to feed people and entertain and set the table and put the candles out and flowers. I love flower arranging and making gifts for people. I love doing that. 
Yeah, and that's that's something else that comes across is that I think you you talk a lot about food in the no- not not a lot about food, but there's just those little moments. It's always there's a there's a meal being prepared or there's a cup of tea and a slice of cake, and it's clear that that's that's your sort of go to as a way of. I, I guess we always talk about breaking bread, but it's that moment where families come together, friends come together, and you just get to share stories. Well, when I was growing up, Kat, people didn't say, families didn't say, I love you when they when they were together. Love wasn't a word you you could use with family, brothers, sisters, parents. And yet the love was there. It was demonstrated through acts of service. Yeah. You felt it, even if it wasn't articulated. And that's not the case now. I had uh, in in my family and with my parents, I had a brother who died in his 30s in the year 2000. And that changed everything in our family. And it changed everything for me, too, Mm. because I thought, you never know. I I often think what my brother would have done if he'd known when he was 21 that he had 10 years left, what wouldn't he have done? Yeah. What things would he have made sure that he did or said? So lots of good has, it's, it's a horrible thing to say, but, you know, you don't want... I think it's important to feel for for me anyway to feel like he he we learned lessons from knowing him and from him being here but also from losing him. So love is a word it's a it's a word in our vocabulary now with my parents it's always been there with my kids and we say it all the time. Yeah. But just taking it back to absolutely and I think that is what you do with your stories you capture you know, this this novel has been a sort of testament to that grandmother of yours. And I know that having lost your brother is that is part of the reason you you write so evocatively about grief and loss and uh you have that real empathy for grabbing life by by you know two hands and, and doing the thing. Don't don't delay, don't wait say what you need to say, all of that, I think, is is influenced by that loss. Yeah, for sure. And appreciating just how lucky we are to be here, just mm-hmm. to be here and have this day. Yeah. And I know, I know it's a sad day in the UK as we're recording this because uh, Queen Elizabeth yeah. passed away and... If that's it. That's the end of an era. I seventy years of service to uh, a country, whether you're a, a royalist or a republican. I I, I think you ha- you cannot help but admire somebody who's sacrificed and served with such grace for and and put other people before themselves. Essentially, absolutely right to the day before she died. I mean, she was still working. You know, mm-hmm. she went to meet the new prime minister, and I think, uh, as you say, whether you're a royalist or republican, if you're a human, you will understand mm-hmm. what 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 dedication that took. You know, and and again, coming back to 
In fact, we were having this discussion last night about how much your geography is your destiny and 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 where mm-hmm. you're how you're born and where you're born for a lot of people it isn't a choice and for someone like the queen that wasn't her choice you know she wasn't even in line to the throne when she was growing up and yet she embraced it she made that commitment and did that with the grace and dignity that she she led um so yeah i think it is a it's a really powerful time and when you look at the the way society and you know how different the, the time and the place is today from when she took the throne 70 years ago it's um i'm sure there will be a lot of really interesting stories that come out as we as we see you know because inevitably there'll be lots of going back through mm-hmm. history in different mm-hmm. moments in time and for me personally that is always a fascinating thing to do to really look at um you know i was a big fan of the crown the the series mm-hmm. that took us back to yes how how and having to change and evolve in the public eye is also mm-hmm. really challenging so there is a beautiful um example of creators coming together to storytell in a different medium about and different actors stepping into the same role and the challenges that they must have had yeah. it's incredible yeah and also i think for me personally it helped me build a little bit more empathy for mm-hmm. the world that they lived in and the the lack of cho- choice and freedom that you know was 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 imposed upon them but but isn't isn't a choice it's not you know you don't wake up and say i'm going to be king today i'm going to be queen today you know this is and there's so much tradition and um convention that you you have to to follow and 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 the job is pretty much 24/7 you know you never really get to sort of say i'm not in the public eye or i won't be representing my country um it's yeah, it's not a life I would choose for myself, for sure. We don't know what it's like to stand in someone else's shoes. That's why stories are so important, because it they help us to empathise with people who we want to know better. Yeah. And we need to know better. It helps us to understand each other. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's why your novel is so powerful, because it really does just put everybody's perspective, you know, even the mother-in-law, we start to see, we don't necessarily, I don't, you know, I, I don't find myself warming to her, but, but it's, you, you have a little bit more empathy for the culture that she was part of, that that shame would bring her down, you know, how much she's clinging on to just not getting it wrong in life. Um, and it's, it's through that power of storytelling. Yeah, everybody's got their backstory, Kat, and they can't, they bring it with them. You can't leave your backstory behind and you bring it with you through life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and make make what you will of it. And I think that is the other, the other really powerful message is how important it is to be able to be you, to be able to show up mm-hmm. as you and how how freeing that in itself is for people. Uh, if I could take one theme from the book that that did give me most 
you know, the greatest sense of optimism was just how we are slowly moving into an age where there is more tolerance. And that's why the reversal of Roe versus Wade is so distressing because that doesn't enable people to just be themselves and live according to their own choices. I think we, if we look at Ireland, though, and how much change has happened there and how liberal it is, I'm so proud of some of the changes that have happened over the years in, in Ireland, where it was the first country in the world to legalize gay marriage. How incredible is that? Absolutely. And 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 that is the power of once you once you allow people to express themselves, mm-hmm. you, you yeah, it, it, it just brings in that that sense of tolerance and people living alongside one another with greater understanding and less yeah less people who are driven to depression and and maybe even suicide because they can't be themselves Mm. so powerful now it's funny you brought it back around to Ireland and to wrap up I would just love to to bring us back to music because this this podcast is so so steeped in that kind of tradition of of sharing a song at the end that's certainly something I do when I want to lift my mood or have some fun I'll put on a piece of favorite music I know you're a, a U2 fan from our last discussion but you, um, you shared with I me I cannot that- wait for Bono's uh, biography to come out soon November I think I oh, am right yes nice? yeah it should be brilliant Anyway, oh. I digress. I digress. Yeah, no, 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 no. That will be a story and a half. My goodness me. Mm-hmm. But you you said there's one piece of music which kind of spans the ages between the 60s and, and the 90s when your novel's set that's very special to you and your, your family. Do you want to tell us about it? It's it's a tune called Unchained Melody, and it was sung by the Righteous Brothers. I, I think it was released in 1965, so that would have been about the time when the novel was set. And I remember my dad, as I said to you, taught himself to play guitar when I was small. And actually, even before I was born, he was playing guitar, and he was playing at weddings and, and gigs He's a wonderful performer, but I remember lying in bed at night when I was a kid and listening to him practice. And he, 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 that was one of his songs. And he also sang that song at my wedding. So it unchanged melody. Yeah. I I think it's so lovely when people have a song that takes them to a certain time and place, which obviously your wedding day. And did your dad sing at the wedding? He sang, yeah, he sang, he didn't, he wasn't part of the, the he, he organized the group. So there was yeah. a group there, but if there's a microphone and my dad has handed it, he will <laughs> perform. He's a wonderful performer and he's got a great stage presence. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he, he's got some moves, my dad still, and a wonderful voice. What a, what a perfect way to bring this to a close. I just wanted to finally, you know, any piece of wisdom that you have for anyone listening to this, who is a a budding writer, a would-be writer, who is maybe struggling with, but I'm not good enough to do this. What would, what would be your wisdom for them? Well, I'm going to steal some wisdom that was passed on to me by the great screenwriting coach, Robert McKee, who I had the privilege of doing a workshop with so many years ago now, I can't even remember long before I 
started teaching people about storytelling, um, I went to a workshop in New York and, and my son, my eldest son studied film and television. He was the one who introduced me to Robert McKee. So when I went to Robert McKee's workshop, I got him to sign a book for my son, Adam. And in the front, he signs the same thing in, in every book, or he did certainly on that day, and I imagine he does. And his advice is write the truth. <gasps> wow. Oh, my goodness. That's a showstopper, isn't it? Write the truth. Wow. And I don't think I can improve upon that. I don't think you can. No, that is. I, I think if I, I was know. ever to get a tattoo, that's what I might have tattooed on myself. Yeah. And how hard is it to do that when you think about it? But but you've done that so well in this novel. You really have achieved that, right, the truth. And I think that's why it resonates so powerfully. Oh, amazing, amazing. Well, listen, I am indebted to you, Bernadette, for the gift, not only of this conversation, but for the making of her and that beautiful story. Thank you so much for coming on to, to talk about it. And I wish you every success with the next one, which I'm sure is not long in the making. Oh, thank you so much, Kat. It's it's always great to chat to you. I love how deep you go in your conversations and your podcasts with people and how you really lead from the heart in everything you do. So thanks so much for having me back to chat. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'll speak to you soon. I'll see you in the final Story Skills Workshop very soon. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Bye now. What an absolute joy that was from the queen of empathy herself. Such a touching story about losing her brother and how much, yeah, we, we need to hold on to how lucky we are to be here. I think in a week where we have lost the queen, it's caused us all to stop and think about life and loss and the people we love. I know that's certainly true for me. And I have an image of Bernadette's dad standing up in those proud moments at weddings and family gatherings and singing his heart out to Unchained Melody. What a lovely, lovely image to finish with. Thank you so much for being here. I have one request. If you have enjoyed this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would just share it with someone else you think might enjoy it too. And I look forward to seeing you next week when I have Kirsty Stark, who is a brilliant TV and film producer, to talk about Epic Films' latest hit TV series, First Day, which is the story of Hannah, a transgender girl, as she navigates starting at a brand new high school. It promises to be a brilliant conversation, and I do hope you can join us. But have a good week in the meantime, and if you're feeling emotional, it means you're human.
thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from, so I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.